Hey everyone, it's Amber Love. Welcome to Vodka O'Clock. And joining me today is Dwayne Swarzynski, and we're going to talk about all sorts of wonderful crime noir things that uh, you should know about. And Dwayne's my, my expert go-to guy for this. So, Dwayne, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, and, and uh, hello to all the vodka tears out there. In I like that. I like that. I, I think they need t-shirts. You need a cult, yeah. T-shirts, hats, you know, like a little, like, you know, one of those... Having to hold two bottles of cans of beer instead of two bottles of vodka with straws coming down, you know? Yeah, flasks. Exactly. Flasks on the side. Exactly. I, I should design flasks. I, I don't know if that's a cafe press option, but it should be. <laughs> it should be. And speaking of, because um, I'm drinking one of the most delicious things I've had in my mouth ever. What is that? Um, it's one part Van Gogh caramel vodka with three parts woodchuck cider. Wow, cider? That's interesting. That that sounds like it would go wrong. Oh, no, no, no. It's like drinking caramel apple, adult style. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I see that, yeah. It's very, very good. I am I am uh, sipping at a Knob Creek bourbon. Not vodka, but, you know. Those are good, yeah. It's kind of hillbilly vodka. Yeah, well, Mr. Andy Parks turned me on to a very hillbilly thing, which is quite addictive. It's called Apple Pie Moonshine. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Deadly. It is unbelievable. And, yeah, it comes in, like, you know, a mason jar. I would trust Mr. Parks on his, uh, any tip he'd give. He he seems to know his stuff. He is, and he's good at that. So um, we have some noir news to talk about because you're one of the organizers for the Retreat to Goodisville fun bus there. Right. So explain to the mighty listeners who perhaps have never heard me sing the praises of this tour. Sure. Um, it's, a, it's a little bus tour in honor of David Goodis. He was a Philadelphia crime writer. Uh, mostly wrote books in the 40s, 50s, the 60s. Um, kind of died in obscurity, but over the years gained this huge cult following, especially among noir nerds like me. Um, and we... Uh, it started, we had a, a convention called Goodest Con years ago, just, you know, a one-weekend, one-off to honor him, and it, it, was, it ended in a trip to his, his gravesite, you know, on the fringes of northeast Philadelphia. Um, and every year we'd revisit, and kind of the, the, the whole visiting of the grave grew and grew and grew, and then finally last year, it was so many folks, we needed a bus to, like, deal with it, you know, otherwise it was like, when you were there the two years ago with the caravan of cars, you know. Right. Which was fun in a weird way, but it was also like trying to navigate with seven or eight cars going you know, down the highway in a blizzard, you know, <laughs> trying to find the next right. Tour. So, Lou Boxer, who is my you know my partner in crime in this, we decided to you know rent a bus and just have kind of a formal or formal as possible bus tour. We go to the gravesite, we visit where he you know worked and lived and played, and this year we're focusing on one of his novels, his probably his most famous novel. It's called uh, published is down there. But it's known now as Shoot the Piano Player because it was adapted into a film uh, uh, by Truffaut under that name. That's probably his best known work, and we're visiting spots from that novel on this tour. And like all noir stories, there is bad news, but some good news, a ray of hope. Uh, the bad news is this tour is almost sold out. There's like maybe two or three seats left. However, if you want to join us regardless, you can, we'll actually have to give you the itinerary uh, to meet us along the way or join us at the end of the day at the Grey Lodge Pub. Uh, which is where we're gathering at four o'clock that day to drown our sorrows and you know hang out. So good news, bad news, bad. We'll get on the things. All right, definitely. And it's it is a, a lot of fun. It's great people. It's you know it's one of those things where you know I sort of 
went to that and, you know, only knew you and met Ed. So then by my second year, I was like, okay, I know like, you know, four people the second year. It was just like, you know, it was more and more people and um, everybody's just really jovial and um, just, it's just, I don't know, very relaxed. It's a, even though we have had everything from freezing, like you said, unbelievably, ridiculously cold to last year when it was like spring and all of us left our coats on the bus. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, 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 it usually is cold. I'm hoping this year we've had a warming trend. I'm hoping it's you know, mild, not too crazy. Um, but yeah, it is it's, it actually for a bunch of noir fans, you know, you expect them to be surly and weird and awkward. They're the friendliest people I've, I've ever met, honestly. Um, last year was this big, warm, fuzzy feeling of like, you know, camaraderie. Uh, this year, it's probably having half people returning and half new faces. So, but I, I, it'll be hopefully the same kind of kind of feeling. Okay. Well, you've saved me a seat, right? Of course. Okay. Because I would be absolutely devastated if you didn't. <laughs> You're a fixture on this bus tour now. Good. Um, you know, I I will do my my best. I've picked out a passage too, but it's not from the designated book. I I just read the Blue Sweetheart. Oh yeah, that's a good story. So um, when we do the reading of the passages at the cemetery or, we're, you know, if we're picking a different place this year, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, same place. Yeah, same place. at the, Okay, so we'll be at the cemetery and, you you know, you leave a stone uh, in Jewish tradition. Right. A stone. Um, it's just so much fun to hear the different passages that people pick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, every, every, you know, bit of his work strikes people differently, you know. I mean, the people... Play music, kind of. It's, this stuff is very depressing and very noirish, and you know, almost like almost suicidal. I think it's very funny. I think it's hilarious. Often, a lot of the stuff because I think he's having fun with you know uh, the sort of the, the downtrodden and you know the the lower end of life. <laughs> well, one one thing that comes through, and you have to know this about David Goodis, the man, as opposed to just the writer. Um, is his love for the curvy woman because, yeah. uh, you know, as a full-figured woman, I'm just like, I'm like, wow, this isn't played by, this would not be, you wouldn't be able to have any of his women played by today's scrawny, anorexic Hollywood women. That's, yeah, would, that's true. I mean, yeah, he, he likes his women full-figured and, and, you know, and uh, brassy and, you know, tough. I mean, a lot of tough women in his books. Um, in fact, the women are often tougher than the male characters. Yeah, and they're they're very intelligent and conniving. Where they play, they play the mall, you know exactly as you should. Like, um, you know, they'll show their loyalty to the antagonist, right? And at the last second, turn and you know support the hero. And it's like, oh come on, baby, you know I love you. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, I think you know, good as personally, I think he felt you know in a weird way that he was a victim. You know, he's married very briefly. Um, the word is that his, you know, his, his, his wife kind of realized he was a weirdo and kind of bolted, you know, and, right. and, you know, he felt just so betrayed by it. He kind of, I think he wrote about her the rest of his life, basically. Um, well, it's, wasn't he having a very long-term relationship with a black woman back then? Yes. Um, but that, that, Selma Burke, she was a, a sculptor who, her most, I guess, Famous work that we all know is the uh, the FDR sculpture on the dime. That was her work, and apparently they, they dated for quite a few years and spent a lot of time in New Hope, you know, walking around and the one place they could be accepted, I guess, as an interracial couple. 
Uh, right. New Hope, if you guys don't know, New Hope, Pennsylvania is, you know, this amazing little eclectic town where, um, you know, you can fly your gay flag as much as you want and anybody can be whoever they want. Exactly. Yeah. If you're, if you're gay, straight, interracial, whatever you're, you know, whatever you're doing, you won't be judged, you know, as that's the idea. And even back in the 50s, that was kind of like the ideal, you know, back then. Um, a lot of artists flocked to, you know, New Hope in Bucks County from New York. So that made sense. Right. So I, I guess he wouldn't have been able to have that relationship, even if he was ready to, even if he was ready to marry somebody else. I don't know that they, you know, I, I, I guess no. legally. Yeah, I think you're right. But even, I think even today, sadly, in the, um, some neighbors in Philadelphia, you know, interracial couples look upon as like, what are you doing? You know, and that's that, that's still sadly the case today, you know, let alone the 50s. Um, so, yeah, I think he hid a lot of his real his real passion away. Yeah, and you know, it made for some great characters and great stories. Right. No, absolutely. Um, but I also find the relationship with his brother to be very interesting. That's very true. Um, his brother was uh, mentally ill, and you know, who knows how that would have been handled today? Right. Uh, schizophrenia, right? You know, I'm not or, entirely clear. I think so. Um, or we, nobody really knows, I guess. Yeah, you know, what, you know Lou Boxer knows. I don't, I don't know what time to speak. Um, so I'm a little vague on what he had mental issues. You know, um, right. not quite sure what it was. He, he needed kind of to be supervised and cared for. And his parents did for many years. He's as good as his parents. And then they passed away, and the ta- you know the the obligation fell to Goodis himself. So and he did that until his death. He died young. He was only 49, I believe. He died 1967. And just uh, you know, just such a great sibling relationship that no matter how unusual his brother was he just was there for him and supported him and you know his brother I guess couldn't have your typical regular jobs but you just seemed to I don't know manage to piece things together once in a while absolutely you know and I think you know he was doing for a while there pretty well financially goodness and I think I'm sure he helped helped out um um yeah, and I think he also wrote with, about his brother with great affection. There are, and there are some affectionate characters in his books, you know. But so as if he was a sort of freakish, uh, you know, a loner, he had a lot of friends. He was a warm, you know, funny guy to a lot of people. He was, yeah, he was quite a comedian. Yeah. He, um, these are these are all great things that um, if you go on the tour, you learn all this stuff. It's just, uh, you know, he's this obscure writer that. Uh, you know, the name was just completely unfamiliar, uh, and probably is to most people. Yeah, well, you know, the tide is turning slowly. I mean, it, it, this is past year, the Library of America, which is a really prestigious, you know, hardback line, published five of his books in a, in a collection. I mean, that's kind of the same line that publishes, you know, Hemingway and Faulkner, all these, you know, great American writers. Um, uh, they put out, you know, five goodest novels. It's pretty <laughs> astounding to a lot of us. <laughs> they would do that. Uh, yeah. Happily astounding. Yeah, I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, you sort of expect it with, like, Hard Kids Crime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I have their, I never studied, I never majored in English, so I don't know what the curriculum is like these days because I majored in journalism. But um, mm-hmm. I would be fascinated to know what they picked as, you know, if they could have a noir class. I think, that, I think that people do out there have, I've heard of, you know, you know, mystery and crime fiction, uh, noir type courses. Um, actually, I, I taught a, a seminar, not for college level. It was actually you know, for adults in this thing called the Crime Fiction Academy, 
and it was a reading seminar. It was like four sessions. I had to pick four books, and one of them I chose a goodest novel, and the reaction was great. People, I was surprised. There's people. I guess all the the, the um, students were all either middle-aged or older and hadn't heard of Goodis, you know, or read them. Um, so it was nice to turn them on to his work. They really responded to it. They thought, you know, they really liked it a lot. So were you traveling back and forth to New York then during the Hurricane Sandy? Um, well, that's funny. I had a, cl- a class scheduled for October 30th, you know, when the storm hit. Uh, obviously, class was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> because I know, uh, you, like, the train service yeah. is still disrupted. And we're, you know, we're talking about we're at the end of the year already. And lines are you know, being restored every week. There's more lines being restored, but, yeah. um, you know, you had to go from Philly to New York. Yeah, it wasn't that bad, but it was, it was, yeah, that was a little scary. I was kind of watching the weather, you know, with a wary eye, thinking, okay, this can go bad. We're going to trap there, you know, in New York. Uh, but, yeah, it, 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 it turned out pretty well. We had a few classes that pushed things back. We had, like, three classes almost back-to-back, but it was fun, you know. Um, we read, uh, you know, again, we read Dashiell Hammett. We read, um, uh, Dorothy Hughes, a great book called The Expendable Man, uh, and finally a book called uh, The Last Good Kiss by James Crumley, which is just, people love that one, best out of all four. Okay, I'll have to uh, look for that. Yep, that's, you know, not, not, not to bore you with my noir suggestion. Never. <laughs> never, never. I always feel like such an illiterate doofus, because I See? just do not have... I don't. I just don't read as much as everybody else. No, I, I don't think that's true. I think. I mean, I, I just you know, I tend to read in certain areas. You know, <laughs> you know, the more obscure areas. I guess um, that's not. You know, that's not, I mean, I'm pretty. I think literature comes to a lot of mainstream lit- literature. You know, literature. Um, I know a few big you know, current novel novelists, but I'm not really obsessively following what's mainstream. So you you were not one of the men to read Fifty Shades of Grey. No, no, I, I was not. Um, that's about an artist, right? Uh, yeah, like, I believe so. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah, chiaroscuro uh, painting <laughs> style. Absolutely. Excellent. I'm not missing much then. Good. I'm glad. I don't know. Yeah, I think they painted with a necktie. That's what I understand. <laughs> um, so what sort of noir stuff is going on in today's world? I mean, there's crime writers like uh, like you, Victor Gishler, mm-hmm. Um, who are some of your contemporaries that you're uh, fond of? Geez, um, I guess well, as far as writers writing now, I mean, yeah, I call them my betters, but uh, <laughs> your betters. Um, I mean, I've been reading just recently a lot of uh, Daniel Woodrell. He's a he writes lives in the Ozarks, you know, Ozark Mountain area. And he writes mm-hmm. about kind of it's what's been called like hillbilly noir or country noir. And I guess his most famous book is Winter's Bone, which is made into the, the uh, Jennifer Lawrence movie. A couple years ago, okay. um, it's a fantastic book. But there's a few books I read, you know, from I guess the '90s. Uh, one's called "Give Us a Kiss," which is brilliant and just bloody and profane and crazy. And one called "Tomato Red," which is just as insane. Um, I mean, great, smart, low-life characters. <clears throat> um, he's been, a little, you know, I, I I read I read a few of his books a bunch of years ago, and then kind of for some reason again tuned into him, and you know. He's widely praised. He's kind of considered, a, you know, an idol in crime fiction circles, and he deserves it. You know, we should carry him on a on a throne and throw money at him. That'd be fun. He's, a parade, a parade to throw money at somebody. He's great. But I mean, I also, you know, I always love and read. You know, Ken Bruin, his Irish crime writer, uh, yeah. Houston. He's done, you know, quite a bit of comics as well. I uh, can't wait for his next book. It's called Skinner. Out next year. Um, geez, I can go 
on and on. <laughs> People, um, Scottish writer Alan Guthrie, uh, he's a really dark, sick, twisted Scott. Um, Chuck, you know Chuck, of course. Yeah, and now we're getting more into, like, I, 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 Chuck's not quite crime noir. I guess he is, no. so, but more, you know, he's not cool you know, hipster science fiction fantasy camp, you know. Yeah, he's sort of, but he's got the profane down, right? You know, noir-style profanity. Yeah, he's a, he's a potty mouth. Uh, <laughs> and it's the sweetest way possible. Yeah, and it's so funny because he's not like that. He's just not. It's just his writing. That's the thing. You, I mean, I've been to enough conventions where you meet, you know, all these writers and you think, wow, these must be like, you know, tattooed biker types. And they're not. They're like, they're sweethearts, um, all of them. It's pretty amazing. Do you think that... Uh, the style of crime noir is is able to stay connected into its roots with, you know, every single year there's more technology and we're bombarded by different types of media and just different... I, I, yeah, I imagine there's... Yeah. You know, I'm just sort of sensing, like, things that were science fiction 20 years ago are possible today. And, you know, what would... What would they be like? Yeah. I mean, are people keeping their crime noir? Are they keeping it solid? Or are they sort of in that fusion? I think so, because it's, it'd be a mistake to think of noir or crime fiction as like a, a period piece or nostalgia, you know? It's not as if you see a ring of noir novel that has to be set. There's no rule that says it's set in the 40s and 50s and feels like old-timey stuff. In fact, that's sort of not quite what I like. I mean, what I like about noir is that, by definition, it's a story where people had this overwhelming feeling of being screwed by the universe, you know, just hopeless, you know, it's like struggling in the face of hopelessness kind of thing. Um, that's even more universal than, you know, genre fiction, I think. That's a great classic, you know, literary theme. The universe wants to fuck you, you know, kind of thing, so. Yeah, Kate and Abel, the first noir. Yeah. Can we go with that? Exactly, you know, and, and it's, um, you know, the, the, the sin, bite the apple, you're sin, you're, you're the, you know, you have the sin in your soul forever. That's pretty noir, you know, that's pretty, <laughs> that's no escape there. Um, no, I think, you know, there's certainly a lot of great period noir, noir, noir books. Like James Elroy was great, great, you know, 50s L.A. novels and 40s, you know, stuff in the 40s. And that's cool, but what I tend to really, you know, think is the future and kind of was thriving is, you know, contemporary, you know, modern noir stories or crime stories where people today, whether you have a cell phone or Internet or whatever, you're still stuck in a situation where you're screwed and you feel like you're fighting overwhelming odds, you know. Uh, right. I'm kind of a purist. I kind of think if you're, you know, it's pretty simple. If you have a happy ending, it's not a noir novel, you know. And if you have like you know a sort of even like a, a semi-happy ending or a, a status quo ending, it's probably a crime novel, you know, but not really noir. Because noir is like the big, you know, the perfect noir novel. There's one thing called Savage Night, I believe, by Jim Thompson, where it ends with the the main character, um, pretty sure he's a narrator. He ends up dismembered on the basement floor, and he's still narrating. <laughs> that yeah, you don't see that normally ever, really. That's that to me is like the, the shot of the pure stuff. Like there's no redemption. I mean, uh, no no way out. So, but I see. I would say that you know some Hollywood studio somewhere would take that and change it because they want to make sure that they can get a three movie franchise out of it. Yeah, absolutely, and that happens. You know, um, I mean, one of my books uh, that was you know option, and, and we you know, I worked on the adaptation. Uh, the, the book's ending, not to ruin it, it's just, it's very dark. It's like, whoa, you know, and uh, the, the movie version, they were pretty happy. They wanted something that's not quite as dark. In fact, they wanted more of a resolution, like kind of a happy ending, which I got, you know, that's fine. That's okay. 
So a, a book can be noir, and the adaptation cannot be noir. It's very possible. It happens all the time. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I still sort of think of um, incorporating science into it, because like you're saying, it's crime stories as opposed to um, noir, which there's not always a detective. I mean, it's not everything is my camera. It's, you know, there's... um, But I just, because of what I, the TV that I watch and things that entertain me, uh, I always think of crime shows. So I'm always thinking of police procedurals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And using the science, like the forensics. That's true, yeah. That's actually close to the classic mystery. It has, I'm sure, you know, there are noirish elements, but I guess I think of like a classic, you know, crime novel in TV. I think of Breaking Bad. That to me is like, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to end the last season next year, but he's right. on the road to hell. Oh, yeah. Every episode just sucks. I mean, and sucks in a beautiful, well-made way. I mean, well put. Yeah, exactly. And that, to me, is like that, that thrill, I guess, in that show is the same kind of thrill, I guess, in the, the, the best crime novels. Like, wow, this is intense. Nothing's wasted, you know? Um, that, to me, is the closest thing to, you know, to uh, the classic crime novel. Yeah. I, and it's, uh, you know, it deserves all of the praise that it gets. It's no, not a... Um, yeah, because the stuff that I watch tends to have much more humor in it. Yeah. The mental, the mentalist. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, no, that makes sense. You're, you're, I know you're a Castle fan. That's kind of a, I, a lighter. That's just cool. Um, there? Yeah, there are actually a lot of shows that are a little, a little more like there's a... My, my wife watches Rizzoli and Isles, which is, you know, yes. a forensic show. It's, it's funny. It's, it's love banter. There's some dark moments. But, you know, that's cool. Um, there is a place for that. And that's the place, and that's, you know, in front of, that's people like better usually than the darker stuff, frankly. I don't think Breaking Bad, it's done well critically, and I think it does well ratings-wise, but it's not a runaway hit. Right. Yeah, it's not, it's not for everyone. It's like, um, I watched through, I think it was two seasons, um, on DVD, and I had to take them in really small doses. Other shows, I can watch the entire season in a day. Right, right. Um, I had to take that in really small doses. And to me, I couldn't revisit them. Other, I mean, I literally play DVDs every night because I hate commercials and don't have a DVR. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those to me, I they never got a second viewing. I was like, this is too deep for me. <laughs> That's excellent, though. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's just that evocative of the, the emotions that are there, the tension, the the gross factor yeah. to an extent, you know, the, there's always like something being done to a body somewhere. You see, I, I could watch that, uh, I think over and over again, this show. So I, I actually, I, I probably will rewatch it before the, the final, like last season next year. I'll probably go through the whole thing again, just to catch up again. Yeah, that helps. That helps to sort of, yeah. um, you know, then you catch all of the things that you, you didn't catch the first time. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, and of course the, real life kind of can suck from time to time. And that's one of the things that I, you know, it's like, hmm, I emailed you this morning. I was thinking, I'm like, like, okay, the real world kind of sucks, especially here up in the, the Northeast because of um, the, the shooting massacre at school. And it's, you know, the thing that sort of, the thing that hit everybody globally about that is that there were children. But we've had the Aurora incident just you know not that long ago and then the portland oregon mall and at the same time our 
our entertainment contains so much violence. And I, I get really, really defensive when people want to just say, oh, it's because of this video game. And they'll, they'll usually, like, pick out one or two. I mean, like, the, the, the Tipper Gore people. Those, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, oh, it's the heavy metal music. Oh, it's the video game. It's the, you know, and the stuff you see on TV. And it's still one of those those issues where it's okay to show dismembered people on crime television shows, but you can't show a breast. Right, right. That's that's very true. You've you pointed it out, you know, many times in very smart blog posts. I mean, it's kind of a very strange puritanical thing we have in America, you know, where the human body is considered much more profane than a dismembered head, you know. Right. It's only okay to show the body if it's being bludgeoned. Right, <laughs> exactly. If it's in the butcher's slat, that's cool. But, you yeah. know, God forbid there's a nipple slip, then you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, really. And it's just so, it makes so much media attention when it's like, oh my God, there's a celebrity's nipple at the awards and whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think it's back to our, you know, puritanical nature. Um, I, I, it's funny, I had a, I guess it's 20 years ago, I interviewed Clive Barker, you know, and he was just kind of cracking up about how Americans react to things, you know, and uh, how sex has to be so hidden and sanitized and weird. Uh, whereas, you know, in Japan, he, he, his example, in Japan, you can see a guy reading pornographic manja on the, the subway, you know, and that's, that's, that's normal. It's like out there and it's, there you go. Guy enjoying his porn. Yeah, and you know Amsterdam. Yeah, and, yeah. it's I don't I don't know what what's wrong here. And the more you tell people that they shouldn't have it, the more they want it. Oh, definitely. You know, um, and well, the thing is with, you know, with kids. I mean, I, I'm a parent. You know, uh, 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 kids who are grade school age. Of course, I don't want them to be seeing certain things. But that's my job as a parent to sort of introduce them to the world. You know, and not have them barraged by you know everything that includes movies, you know, what have you. Um, but at a certain point, when you're an adult, you make your own calls about things. And I don't, I'm not, I don't believe at all, I mean, I think censorship is just wrong across the board. Um, I just, as a writer, as a creator, I can't, you know, get on board with that. <laughs> or, you know, right, and and yeah. parenting is one of the, the things that I really wanted to talk to you about, because your daughter just happens to love gory crap. I mean, she loves gore and horror and zombies and... Sort of, yeah. I mean, I think she's not like... I mean, believe me, we're not watching Evil Dead, you know? We're not... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Walking Dead, no. I mean, uh, I think... That, but she likes more of the creepy stuff, you know? More of the, um, you know, the, the, the gothy Tim Burton kind of stuff, which is cool. That's me as a kid. You know, the creature from the Black Lagoon. So there's, like, you know, there's, there's gradients of horror, I think, that are, you know kid-friendly, certainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely, like, I, you know, there's classic monster movies and werewolves and stuff, and then they sort of escalate into the torture porn scene. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the Saw and, you know, no, hostile and all that nasty. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the the torture porn stuff is not quite my taste. Um, I mean, I, I, I would never say, you know, ban it. it should, I mean, that, that's not my place. It's just not my, that's not for me. It's not my taste. But, you know, uh, you know, again, yeah, I think as, as far as the parent end of it, it, it's a matter of what you kind of introduce to your kid. And I am remembering what horror to me, you know, was about as me as a kid, you know, reading my first like Stephen King novel and watching my first horror movies. It was about, you know, grappling with, it was a safe way to explore your fears and like get control over something that seems so horrifying and, and bigger than you are. Um, 
you know, it doesn't control if you can watch a Friday the 13th movie and kind of, you know, feel like you get a handle on how violence can break out you know, somewhere. Yeah. You know, um, that's how I always viewed it. I was, a, I was a, you know, kind of a, a nerdy kid. I'm going to say no way, but I was. I was a nerdy kid. Um, you know, I was kind of short and skinny and I wore glasses. And, you know, I kind of felt like I had some kind of uh, strength in facing those fears. If I can watch this, this this kind of movie and read these kind of books, I'm not as weak as I think I am. Okay, I've never heard anybody say that. Huh. I can't be the first. I hope not. Because I mean, if I'm around, if there's a scary book in the house, I'm I'm very much of the like Joey from Friends. The book's got to go in the freezer. Like I can't watch Supernatural by myself in the dark. Oh, that's funny. Um... I'm just I can't. <laughs> I think as I, I know the book and the movie are fake, and it's a, it's a safety net, you know. So it helps me confront. It's like a you know, it's a a dose of fear without the real thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, and that's you know, and it's one of those things where there's obviously going to be a separation of the fiction and the fantasy versus the real world, and you can, I guess, easily get that into your head that that's corn syrup and food coloring versus blood and those are prosthetics they're not real scars and right. um you know there really isn't a chainsaw murderer outside your window uh but then awful things happen yep. in the real world and and you have to sort of take a step back and go okay so it's possible it's not as made up and fantastical as the movie makers and writers and you know, special effects people thought. Right. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I'm wondering where, where people learn the difference between, you know, that's, that's stuff that is okay in the video game and not okay here in the real world. Well, you know, I, I, as far as distinguishing fantasy from reality, um, God, I would hope that, you know, the vast majority of us can tell the difference, you know, um, even people who like have a, can't as well, aren't going out and doing these things, you know? Um, I mean, what happened Friday was just beyond, you know, beyond horrible. I was really just just hearing details about it. I mean, I, I kind of have to read them, but wish I could, you know, cleanse my mind after reading them, because I don't want to know this stuff um, about what happened to those kids. It's, you know, it's every parent's nightmare. I mean, it's, you know, it's this awful thing. It's worse than anything I've ever, you know, seen anywhere in a book or <laughs> anywhere else. Uh, Absolutely. But, Jeez, you know, if you know, if you know, say, if films or books kind of you know, sparked, you know, these ideas, then you know, there'd be I don't know. This it, it, it's, it's, it's tricky to say. It's, it's tricky to uh, explore. So I'm sorry if I'm being inarticulate here, but uh, I'm still trying to sort it out in my own head. Actually, you know, what I focused on was explaining to our kids that you know um, there are some bad people in the world who do horrible things, but there are far vast more people who do get, who are good, you know, looking out for each other. Um, and that, that's to me at least, you know, some hope. Yeah, I think that's, um, it's fair. I think there was, there were so many different tentacles of blame. Right. That, that came out of this. And, you know, there's the people talking about video games and entertainment media, and um, then there were there's media in the press, meaning the press, where they were uh, there's 
you know, it's a little bit unfair to say they shove microphones and cameras in kids' faces right. because you do need the parents' permission to do that. But adults somewhere at that moment agreed to put children on the, the news. Yeah, exactly. Um, and at the same time, I'm reading Twitter feeds from my friends who are parents saying that they, you know, they're trying to not let their kids see all of this type of news coverage. They're doing what, like what you were saying, how you just explain, explain it as best you can. And at their schools, they probably had assemblies to talk about it. Right. Um, did, you know, how, how did your community react and out there in Philadelphia? Because you're, let's face it, there's, you know, I think of Philadelphia like Newark. I mean, it's a celebration if you go a month without a shooting. Yeah, that is true. I, mean, I guess uh, that, that's, the, that's the weird thing. I mean, there's, you know, it, it's really horrifying when, you know, a large group of kids, you know, are killed this this way. But all too often in this city, you know, there's there's six-year-olds winged all the time, it feels like. You know, um, a lot of, you know, in a lot of neighborhoods, there's a lot of, you know, gang violence and kids are in the crossfire, innocent mothers in the crossfire, grandmothers. I mean, this is sort of, you know, um, it happens often enough to be, you know, someone, I think someone pointed out that if, like, this gunman had killed one kid a month for, like, you know, months, it wouldn't be the same thing, the same kind of, you know, gut punch as what happened now. I think that's pretty true. Yeah, it's sad, but that's, yeah, it's sort of, you know, kids die here in major cities all the time um, in horrible ways. Um, so that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, I don't think but where I live, I mean, I'm lucky. I live in a place that's relatively untouched by that. It's the city, but I live in a area, honestly, where cops and the firemen tend to live. You know, there's nothing yeah. really, you know, um, all that wrong. Whereas I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, there was a, it was a notorious drug corner you know, half a block away. And uh, there, you know, life is a lot different than where I'm sitting right now. So... Yeah, there are, it's funny when these things happen. There is you want to blame somebody because that's our impulse. Like it's a crime. Who's the culprit? Let's find the culprit and punish the culprit. You know, and we have a lot of places to look. We had you know guns. We had media. We had you know entertainment. Um, you name blaming it. his blaming his mother is the latest one today. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's I I, honestly, I tend to you know really truly try hard to reserve judgment on anything until. I know more, you know, there's a lot of thrust to judgment and, um, uh, you know, people were saying a lot of as news was breaking, that was incorrect later. So, you know, I, the story will come up what happened. Um, is it preventable? I don't know. People will, will just sometimes just go crazy, you know, and it sounds awful, but that happens. Yeah. That bothers me a lot is that people think that there's ways to predict and there, you know, there might be something close, but the moment you're wrong yeah, and the yeah. Mo- then, then you are part of a society where you're punishing people before they've done something wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can't really, you know, how can you predict, you know, this sort of set of circumstances that, you know, fire in someone's head to do something horrible that day? Um, unfortunately, you know, we won't be, ever be in this guy's head and understand what happened. And you know, we, 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 as a culture, we want to, we want to learn how to prevent these things, make sure it never happens again. I get that impulse. Believe me. You know, it's like we want to learn from our mistakes and prevent things, but I'm not sure the answer is easy. Um, I mean, there are certain things I believe uh, about what could be done in the wake of this, but, again, I, I really try not to be political. You know? <laughs> oh, I know, yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it's 
I find it interesting because I see the entertainment industry getting so hammered with blame and I just can't imagine what you guys go through and having, you know, do, do people at your kid's school start yelling at you and saying, you know, no, no. this is the, this is the fault of people like you? No, no, I've never had that. You know, yeah, it's, I guess it's a different, I really have not been ever, I guess, attacked for what I write. I guess I'm lucky. Maybe it's just that no one knows who I am. You know, that's a plus maybe, <laughs> but, um, no, I really never have. It's more, the reaction I get is more like, you write this, you seem so normal, you know, that kind of thing. They wonder, um, yeah, no, I never, I mean, but I, I do, you know, of course, you know, always, not worry, but kind of pay attention to when people start blaming, you know, movies or, or it's never books, honestly. Uh, very few people blame books for anything, unless, you know, it's... Cat- Except which, witchcraft, I think. I think witchcraft gets, like, the biggest oh, okay. dig. Based from, from certain books? Yeah. Huh. Because, it, oh, yeah, any book that's a supernatural genre that comes out, is the the Bible beaters are instantly saying you're turning children into Satan? Oh, true, true. That's true. I guess something more of an, an incident like Friday or some kind of mass shooting or some kind of crazy thing like that, where people ever turn to you know books and say, "Hey, this is it," you know, or even comics so much. I don't think people have ever blamed a comic necessarily for. Yeah, I don't know that they that they do that they get the blame other than the sense that um, when they start going through the whichever criminal of choice, you know, that particular, yeah. uh, you know, when they start going through criminal bedrooms and, uh, you know, iTunes libraries, whatever, they start finding things like, wow, look at, he logged into a thousand hours of, right, right. of Skyrim. He, you know, that's true. Um, yeah, you know, I, I you know, the, the, the rational part of me thinks there is no one trigger. Cause there was, there was one trigger. There was this movie that made people kill people. There'd be a lot more dead people, you know. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's not like one. It's not a virus that spreads. You know, it's not Videodrome where you watch it and you have the urge to kill. You know, um, like the ring or something. Yeah, uh, but you know, I, 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 you know, as a writer, I, I tend to think that what you write is a reflection of society. You know, I mean, yes, I would actually give up violent writing or any criminal cold turkey if you tell me the entire world would be better off for it. If no one would ever hurt each other again or kill each other again, sure, I give up, no problem. I retire happily and live in utopia, you know, <laughs> but it's a reflection of what we see and what, you know, what people do to each other. We're not ever going to get rid of that, you know. Um, it, so if, if somebody can prove that, that hypothesis, then there will be a new line of Dwayne Swarzynski romance novel. Yes, astral romances. Love them. Yeah. Yep. That's my new line. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yep. That's where I think we're headed. But I think we're it, safe in that regard. <laughs> and and you're gonna be you're gonna pose as the hunky guy on the cover, right? You're gonna you're gonna let your hair grow out all along and wear a pirate shirt. Yeah, God no, no no, <laughs> that will never happen. Uh, <laughs> that will never ever happen. No, that'll be uh, that, that's how not to sell a book, right? Right there, pretty much. I've been told a long. I, I have a face for books, so that's good. I uh, I'll stick behind the page. Oh my goodness! Yeah, but you know that's that's interesting because I what was I just talking to I was talking to somebody oh because Chuck is uh, Chuck Wendig is doing a young adult series soon and um, he was asked to consider using a different name right and it's like because they want a different audience or whatever but at the same time 
to me, uh, I know publishing is different, and I know people had to use different names to be, you know, say gender neutral or to not sound Jewish or whatever. Right, right. Um, but nowadays, the author is part of the sales of the book. That's true, yeah. You have a platform, you have your public persona, yeah, exactly. I mean, I want to see, you know, the black and white picture on the back, uh, you know, with you resting your head on your hand. And, <laughs> it, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, you know, or I guess maybe for the guys, you do the Captain Morgan, you do like the JCPenney ad, one knee up and leaning on your knee. Uh, you know, but we know who our authors are. And, you know, back in the day, they would hire models for that because there weren't book tours and there yeah. wasn't TV coverage of the writer. Exactly. I mean, um, it, it's funny. I, I just got the new uh, Mulholland Books catalog for next spring, and my you know, next book, Point and Shoot, is in the catalog. And there was a, a bit of an art snap where they tell me. So I looked at the page, and this is cool, cool copy, you know, covers there, and my author photo is there. And, <laughs> and my author photo was taken by a friend of mine in a bar, you know, I'm posed and trying to look not hideous. And there's a mirror behind me. And the mirror is my, my sort of reflection of the back of my head. For some reason, they focused in and cropped in on the reflection of the back of my head. And that's my author photo in this catalog. <laughs> uh, arguably, the back of my head is far more attractive than the front of my head. But I still thought it was odd. Um, that's them telling me something that I need to, you know, that's like the opposite of all wedding photos, where you you know you, the bride has to stand at the mirror but look into it. I was told it was a uh, you know a, sort of a glitch you know and an art glitch and I you know I I I, I believe that but you know walking to my next signing is backwards you know hi folks how you doing this is <laughs> so you recognize me <laughs> exactly uh, but you're you're right I mean actually image counts for a lot you know and if they call it having a platform having like you know a background and expertise in a certain field you're writing about. Having a cool backstory, or you know, looking good doesn't hurt. Believe me, looking good does not hurt at all. Um, you know, just like anything else, you have these horrible things like you know, well, is a person hot or publishing hot? Presumably, meaning that publishing hot is like a few grades lower than normal hot kind of thing. Okay. Uh, you know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's just you know, it's a sad part of it. Um, although, you know, really, I I haven't been. I've never been told that I can't sell a certain piece of work because I'm not pretty enough. So I can't complain, you know. Um, You're lucky. I don't. I don't have. Uh, I, I don't have that luxury. I'm not saying that that's kind of wrong. I'm not saying that I'm like you know I'm so attractive. But no, it is more that it never came up. Like and then, believe me, I know what I look like. I'm not you know. <laughs> so I'm not the cover model for anything. Um, but I never heard of any friends. I have some friends who are you know just as unattractive as I am. Who you know it hasn't hurt. Our career, but you do wonder, you know, do you, do the pretty ones get more attention and more, more advertised. That's just life, I guess, right? Like yeah, that's that's any job. I mean, there's there have been actual studies that say more attractive people get paid better and get promoted more. But I think you're plenty pretty enough to to be, you know, best-selling author. Well, thank you, uh, but hopefully, it'll be the work, not my my mug at all. <laughs> um. So, all right. So let's let's get into what comics you have coming out for the new year. Cool. Okay. Um, well, just Are you, so you still have like you're still on Valiant stuff. Yes, Bloodshot. Uh, I mean, Bloodshot number is it six came out last week, I believe. Is that right? I think so. I lose track. It's funny. I, I pay attention when I write them, you know, and turn them in. I kind of forget 
Yeah, but that's months ahead of time. Yeah, kind of, that's what I'm kind of like focused on. I know I'm right now versus what's out. Um, Bloodshot, it's going, we're heading into a, a crossover, a Harbinger, uh, Josh Dysart's Harbinger. That'll be a lot of, that starts in March. That's a lot of work ahead of us. Um, let's see, uh, I, just today, Dark Horse Presents number 19 came out. And it has the first of the three shorts I wrote about the, their character X. He's this really badass vigilante. Um, and that'll lead into uh, something bigger, hopefully. But it's a really cool... I, I love the idea of telling this thing in three parts. It's a, it's a full-size... It'll be a full-size comic, you know, but in six-page installments. Um, and it really is. I think it's probably the most violent thing I've ever written, ever. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think that you could get any, any more violence. No, this is just mean, uh, but fun. It is a lot of fun. Um, I, I mean, I've read Helen Gone. It's, it's cathartic. What was that? I've read Helen Gone. That, that, this, this, this is more violent than Helen Gone, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, it's pretty mean. Um, but, again, it's cathartic. You know, I, I mean, I don't think people will read this and go out and do it. Um, just like, you know, I used to wonder, actually, honestly, I used to wonder, maybe this says a lot about me, but, you know, The Punisher, uh, you know, Pretty vibrant character in the Marvel Universe. Um, not a nice guy. Does some really sociopathic things. You don't see any kind of punisher imitators, really. However, <laughs> you know, and I yeah. think there would be more. Um, people trying to mow down bad guys, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. I used to wonder about that as a kid. But it's important to make sure that nobody smokes because that gets copied. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, although smoking is cool, it looks cool. I will say. I, don't think smoker. I do think smoking looks cool. I wish I did. It's you know, if it's a character, that's a character. But you know, exactly. But anyway, oh sorry, <laughs> a side track here. Yeah, there's. Um, I'm really excited about you know, Dark Horse presents X. Um, hope people check that out. There is uh, the next uh, Judge Dread number two came out today. Uh, that's ongoing and a lot of fun to work on. What else is there? Uh, more Godzilla? More Godzilla. Uh, yeah, let's see what issue just came out. Again, I'm blanking what came out because I just turned it 11. So what's that now? Eight? Seven? Eight? eight, 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 eight but it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a 12-issue, 13-issue kind of maxi-series. And then uh, beyond that, we'll see. There's a few things in the works, um, but I, nothing I can talk about just quite yet. So do you think that there would ever be graphic novel ad- adaptations of your books? I could quite. I, I, um, I do them if they were extensions of the books, you know, like almost... Um, like castle, like sort of fill-in stories? If you can direction, like they're... thought out like a prequel or a sequel that could potentially happen, you know? This is besides the one the standalones. I always thought there could be a, something else, and that actually had an adaptation of the book. Well, is, is nothing else that you can talk about. Yeah, something is brewing, uh, you know, in, in the works, but nothing I can, you know, that's, that's sort of, uh, there's one really cool thing I'm dying to um, talk about, but I can't quite yet. It's like, not quite comics, not quite a book, yet somehow all those things. But it's not like, it's just, it's the oddest project I've ever been approached to do, and it's going to be a lot of fun, but I can't say anything about it quite yet. Only it's, it's not a comic book, it is not a novel. It's not a graphic novel. It is not a lot of these things. Yet it involves words and art. Okay. And what about any more um, screenwriting for... You did Black Box TV. Right. Do you got any, anything else with them or any other uh, the online webisode type stuff? You know, uh, there's a few things, you know, um, um, 
in the works. I guess I can I can sort of share this news. I guess I can. Yeah, it's sort of coming out there that the Hardy series was optioned uh, for TV. Yay! So uh, it's still very very early, and often just means they rent it for a while and try to make a TV show out of it. So you know. That's not like it's, you know, going to be airing next month. It's, it's, it's a long process. Uh, but I'm pretty excited about, you know, the potential. Um, and there is interest in, uh, you know, pot, the possible film adaptation of The Wheel Man, one of my first books. So, yeah, that's some like, movie stuff brewing. Nothing like I'm, I'm confident will definitely happen, you know. We'll see. It's a waiting game. Yeah, I know. I know the Hollywood stuff takes a lot longer than you expect. Because when you hear about, oh, the there's three months of filming, it's like, well, that's such a small part of it. Oh, God, yeah. The filming is like, that That to me is like, while you're there, you're doing it. I mean, this is the long road of like, you know, having the option and kind of trying to find people to get attached to it. And it's it's, it's a long, you know, kind of process. And uh, I try to be optimistic, but also try to ignore it and focus on new work. Um, I'm, writing a new, I'm writing a new novel right now. Starting, I started one a few weeks ago. I'm really excited about it. It's that honeymoon phase, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you when you don't hate it. Yeah, exactly. That's good. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about you know stuff. I'm I'm really hoping the new year to like keep doing comics and having fun with that, but balance out and it's more of my own work along with that. You know, the ideal is having a happy balance of both. Right, and a point and shoot is ready to go. It's already done. Or staring at the uh, the proof pages here on my desk. So yeah, it's it's gonna be out in April, definitely. Even if I die right now, it'll still come out. Probably and then, two, actually. And then it'll be a bestseller. Yeah, it'll sell better. So, hmm. food for thought. <laughs> no, we can't have that happen. Provide for my kids or <laughs> running obscurity. Interesting. <laughs> All right, and people can uh, find more about uh, about your news and stuff. Where? What's your your blog again? At my fully updated blog, which is secretdead.com. Yes, it's all it's all fancy now with like um, you know oh. fancy navigation and menus and stuff. I put an extra two cents worth of design into it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, there's also Twitter. I hang out Twitter. Uh, that's Weirzy. It's my last name up to the Y. And um, yeah, and kind of at large in Philadelphia every so often. Great, and definitely then of course on the Goodest Tour. So. Um, where can people get that information? Well, they can go to the, the, the blog post right now. Has uh, The current blog post is about that. It's secretdead.com. But the event is Saturday, January 5th. It's just two, almost two weeks away, I guess. Um, and we start at 10 a.m. at the Grey Lodge Pub in Mayfair, a neighborhood in Philadelphia, and come back to the Grey Lodge at 4 for libations and merriment. Fantastic. Um, all right, Dwayne, well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry about all the uh, Skype difficulties. No worries. But thank you, Amber. And thank you to all your vodka tears out there. Yeah. So uh, cheers, guys. Thanks for uh, listening in on another episode of Vodka Clock. You can follow me at Elizabeth Amber and at AmberUnmasked.com. Thanks.